going to be released. What you're seeing up here is I'm, I'm a bit of a geek, and, um, and I've said that a geek or a nerd, whatever you want to call it. If you're in my ranks, I welcome you and I thank you. Uh, I see I see we've got a video game nerd out here. I love that. She's got on the little Nintendo, the classic joystick. I love that. Uh, and so that's everything that, that I relate to. Um, it was from a kid, and uh, so what, what we're looking at here, this is actually a picture of me, of my apartment. Um, and, uh, and today we're, we're, co we're covering the love of the Father and how, how that impacts your kids' lives. And so you can see that's my cape hanging there. And then I had two little boys at the time, uh, twin boys, and th those are their capes hanging there. So anyway, enough of that. You can put that away. I just thought I'd share that with you guys. It's one of my favorite pictures of, of, uh, of their infancy or their, them being little toddlers. So uh, first, let me, let me open up with this and say Happy Father's Day. Do we have any dads in the room? If you guys would stand up so that we can honor you. All dads, stand up. Stand up. Yes. Some of you know this already because you follow us on Facebook. We have chocolate-covered bacon for all of the dads. So, yeah. So you guys get those out to them. Once you've got your chocolate-covered bacon, you can have a seat. There's guys coming around here. So if you uh We've even got one back here, Austin. We've got Jeff back here. Make sure he's in the green shirt and plaid, so on your way out, make sure you grab one and give it to him. There you go, and we've got a couple over here. So we uh, we made these this week, and uh, I have to tell you, I kind of overestimated a little bit. I bought 12 pounds of bacon. Now, I don't know. Hey, hey, hey. I mean, can you really, can you really overestimate when you're talking about bacon, right? Uh, I don't know if you see my name tag or not that says I love baking because I do. There is absolutely nothing wrong with some bacon. In fact, all your troubles in life, rub some bacon on it. It's fine. Oh. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> Amazing. So um, anyway, so I bought 12 pounds of this stuff. I wound up cooking 10 pounds of it, and then we wound up only using about six. So I still have four pounds of cooked bacon and two pounds of uncooked at the house. Hey, that just means I'm stocked and ready to go. In fact, we were going to just give you guys fresh packs of bacon today. And I said, no, let's chocolate cover it. Let's give them something interesting. So, anyway, happy Father's Day to you. Thank you for being here today. A um, couple things I want to let you know about. Podcasting. We are already on iTunes. So if you enjoy the messages and you, uh, or maybe you missed the message last week and you want to catch up, you can listen to the message. You can hear that on iTunes. Type in Simple Church Ohio and you will find us. It looks like just like our logo. So you'll know it's us. And, uh, and you can listen to some past messages. You can also listen to anything. We try to have them posted by uh, the middle of the afternoon on Sunday so that they're up. You can pass them on to friends. You can share them on Facebook and do all those kind of things. Also, refresh Reynoldsburg. I know I keep talking about it every week because I want to just invite you guys to join us. It's July 20th, okay? It's kickball. It's uh, the biggest slip and slide you've ever seen. It's live music. It's... Uh, water balloons. It is, uh, man, there's just so much going on. Um, the, kick, the kickball tournament. So you can sign up, bring a team. That'd be awesome. Um, but we want you to put that on your calendar. So please write that down, put it on your calendars. There's a website so that you can see everything that's going on. You can sign up for the kickball. It's refreshreynoldsburg.com. Not that hard. Okay. Last thing to announce, food pantry items. You can bring them here. People have been asking to bring them here to the info table. You can drop them off there. Any of your canned goods or non-perishable items, peanut butter, tuna, simple things like that, bags of potatoes, whatever you want to drop off, we can take that right at the info table for you. Okay, last week, for the very first part of this series, we talked about your backstory and the backstory of Superman and how Superman, uh, his backstory is what made a difference and how he had an opportunity to either live out of the circumstances, the current circumstances he found himself in and live in a response to those or live in response to what uh, God's story for him, God's love for him. So, um, and, uh, and, and so 
that was really cool, and I loved exploring that. When we, when we explore that, we get to this week, and we start talking a little bit about the love of the Father. Because I, I talked about, instead of responding to the circumstances, responding to God's love for you, what happens when you do that? When you respond to the love of God that he has for you, there's a couple things that happens, and, and I'll start with Superman and how it parallels. When we watched the movie, it was really cool because Superman lived this, this, like, this childhood that was very troubled. He's dealing with all these powers that he's got. He can see through the walls. He can hear things. And so his parents have to teach him how to live as a freak and hide those powers, to hide them and not use them. The strength, we see him as a kid getting beat up. He gets beat up by local boys, and there's nothing he can do. In fact, they throw him against the wall, the, uh, one of the fences, and when, when the kids walk away, they, um, he gets up, and the fence post is like bent in half because he's holding on to it so hard. He doesn't want to <coughs> lash out at these guys. And so he lives a life as Clark Kent, confused about who he is. He doesn't know, he doesn't know his identity. He doesn't know why he's weird. He feels like an outcast. His mom and dad confirm, you will be an outcast. Time to wake up. I don't know who it is. Time to wake up. <laughs> and uh, and he's, I don't know what I was saying now. Is he? Yes. Outcast. Outcast. Yeah, thank you so much. So he's an outcast. His mom and dad confirm that. And they're like, you'll be a freak. They'll, they'll think that you are, are weird. They'll want to dissect you. They'll want to know more about you. And so they, they teach him to hide it. And so he lives a complete life of secrecy, going from job to job relationship to relationship, town to town, hiding in plain sight because he can't, and anytime he does something good or he uses his power for good, he's got to move on. He's got to move on to the next town because he doesn't want to, to show those powers or he can't show those powers because if he does, he's afraid. He's living underneath this, this belief that he won't be accepted. And so he's confused about his identity. His potential is completely locked up. And his purpose is unknown to him. That's his whole quest is to find out why am I here? And I think we can all relate to that because we all ask that question. Why are we here? What am I supposed to be doing? You know, as a father, how am I supposed to be raising my kids? As a husband, how am I supposed to be? What is my purpose in my relationship? And so we all seek that and we, we may or may not find the answer to that, but I can tell you this, that Superman or Clark Kent found his identity, his potential, and his purpose, and the love of his father. And not just Kevin Costner or Jonathan Kent, and his actual father. Because he lives that way, he lives his whole life not knowing his identity, he lives his whole life. He's 33, maybe 30 years old, much like Jesus was. Doesn't know who he is. And then finally there's a connection made. Finally he has an opportunity to discover who he is and he meets his father. Finds out where he's from, finds out why he was sent, and so he understands who he is. And see, well, I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> I just about got ahead of myself. Finds out why he's here, finds out that he has all these powers and it's okay to use them. Finds out that his powers are limitless because his dad says to him, you never know how much you can do until you try. And so we see him at some point in time, he's jumping. He's not even flying yet, right? He's jumping and he's making these huge leaps and bounds. He hasn't learned to fly yet. And then we see a scene in the movie where his dad says his, that his potential is unlimited. I'm summarizing. It was epic. You got to see it. Sorry. And so <laughs> we see him walk away from that, from that encounter with his dad of saying, hey, your potential is the sky's the limit. And he bows himself down 
and then he just takes off and starts flying. And it's the greatest scene. It just it's like, yes! He's reaching his potential. He's discovered why or what he can do and where the limit is. And then he's flying off into space. And that's just amazing. And so, you know, so he discovers that potential in his father and from his father, what his dad believed he could do. And then he finds his purpose because Zod comes and attacks and, and his dad says, hey, you can end this. You can finish this. You can save the world. And he says, you can save them. And he's not just saying in that situation, he's saying forevermore, you can declare your presence and you can save them. And so Superman not only fights Zod, but you see him after, after the, the, and I'm not going to give you any kind of spoilers, just in case you're going to see the movie. Maybe on your 20th, my 20th time, you'll go with me. Um, <laughs> we see him, we see him, his purpose exposed that he's going to continue to serve the public. And he's going to continue to serve people and help them. And so it's just really, really awesome thing. So his identity, his potential, and his purpose gets unlocked in that. So, you know, as a dad, uh, for me, it, it's a little heavy to think about how my love will impact my kids or the things that I do will impact my kids. That who they become, their inner growth towards being that person, the path they get to take, are impacted by the relationship I have with them. As a father, that weight sits on my shoulders. And sometimes I'm, I'm really proud of the way that I see my kids behaving. And other times I see them behaving in ways that I'm like, oh, I'm ashamed because I know that they're just reflecting me. Like I hear my kids say something to each other and I'm like, that's sarcasm. They got that right from me, you know? And so I'm not really proud of that. But that, that thing, that weighs on me heavy as a dad, that I'm shaping who they are. And if you think about your relationship with your father, maybe your experience or your encounter with your dad has shaped who you are. I know it has. And so the love or your experience with your father shapes you. When all things considered, it makes me sad that the mistakes I'll make with them can change their attitudes, their thoughts, or drive their life in a certain direction one way or the other, good or bad. And, uh, and I hope that I don't pass those my shortcomings on, on to them. But I have hope for them. I have hope that they'll, that they'll trust God with all their hearts, all their lives. I have hope that they'll be good men and good women. I have hope that they'll have good relationships and make good decisions. I have hope. I believe that they can. I believe in my kids. And I tell them that all the time. I believe in you guys. I believe that you can be this, or you can be that, or you can forgive, or you can do this. I don't ever want to squash them because I know the words that I use are shaping. <clears throat> and just like Superman, I hope their story will begin with the love of the Father. See, Jor-El, which is Superman's father, he sent him to Earth because he loved him. They sent him to Earth with purpose. And when Superman meets him, he declares his identity and his potential to be a major influence. Jor-El knew that Superman would be considered a god among them. He knew that he would be able to help them, maybe if needed to save them. But Superman wasn't always Superman. He was born Kal-El, but he never knew that name growing up. In fact, he only knew of himself as Clark Kent. Jonathan and Martha Kent found him in a field amidst the wreckage of a spaceship that it landed in, but Clark didn't know that. It was hidden from him most of his life, so his true identity is hidden from him. So Clark couldn't be who he was destined to be, Superman, because of his father, Jonathan. His identity, his potential and purpose were impacted because of Jonathan's choices. So he had to hide his powers. His dad thought everyone called him tricks. Right, so let me, let me catch up on my notes here. Let's just get right into it. <laughs> when we look at our lives, we see the same things. 
I want to say to make a statement to you is that your identity has nothing to do with who you are. It has everything to do with whose you are. Okay? Your identity has nothing to do with who you are. It has to do with whose you are. It used to be that when you were growing up, people would ask you, what's your name, boy? I'd say Aaron DeLong. And they'd go, ah, you're Steve's kid. You're the DeLongs from over in, in, in Reynoldsburg, and uh, your dad does this. And so who your dad was told everybody all about you. If your family was poor, they knew you were poor. Or if you were from the wrong side of the tracks, they knew that. If you were rich, they knew that about you as well. And immediately, their disposition towards you or how they felt about you was shaped. Not because of who you were. People would treat you a certain way because of whose you were. And so your identity, who people perceived you to be, was bound in that, right? And so people know whether they can pick on you or what kind of person you ought to be because of who your father. And this may confuse a lot of us today because as a group, as a generation, we're known as the fatherless generation. See, it's not that way anymore. It's not that way where I can come up to Joe and say, hey, Joe, who's your dad? What's your last name? And I can say, I, oh, I know him. He's a good man. And I can expect Joe to make those same kind of decisions and be a good man. We don't do that anymore because we're a fatherless generation. A lot of us don't know our dads or our dads walked away from us or we had a, stress, a stressful relationship with them. Mom and dad are maybe divorced. Divorce rate's higher than it's ever been. So we have this situation where we're growing up without our fathers in our lives. To, nobody there to impact us. And so we don't identify them with them anymore. We find ourselves identifying with our jobs. We find ourselves identifying with our relationships or our sports or our hobbies, whatever it is. People say, well, who are you? Well, I'm a banker. Or who are you? Well, I'm a magician. Well, that's not who you are. That's something you do. That there's a completely different thing. Who are you? And so we've lost our identity. But it's whose we are that makes any sense. When we know who our father is, we have a pattern for our behavior, a mold in which we can be cast, someone to look up to, aspire to be like. For in our fathers, we see greatness. We long to be like them, do what they do, talk like they talk. My kids, they all want to do what I'm doing. In fact, when I get here early, my son Tyler, he's like, Dad, get me up early. I want to go with you. I'm like, you know, I'm just coming out of church. It's just going to be me. And we're walking around and I'm just praying. Yep, I want to go with you. He wants to be just like me. He wants to do everything like I do. Because in me, for whatever reason, he sees greatness. And it's not because I'm the guy that stands in the front. It's because I'm his dad. And you all know this. As fathers, you see that in your dad and you just wanted to be just like him. You wanted to act like him. You wanted to drink coffee like him. My son drinks coffee. Both of them drink coffee. They're 11. They've been doing it for years because I get up every morning and guess what? I have a cup of coffee. And so my kids, they're image bearers, right? And that's what we are. We're image bearers of our fathers. We become just like him. Where we see greatness, we act like them. So we begin to revere them and behold them. And in so doing, so we become reflections of them. And I want to tell you that when we, we enter into relationship with Christ, so let's take it from Superman and bring it to why we're here, right? It's Jesus. When we enter into relationship with Christ, we are literally adopted into the family of God. And so we don't have to have that identity of just whose we are here on earth, but whose we are changes because we become sons and daughters of God. In John 1:12, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name... He gave the right to become children of God. 
In Romans 8, 14 through 16, it says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children, or that we are God's children. So when we, are, when we say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, I accept you. I believe in, in, in what you've done for me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. When you accept that gift of salvation, you are grafted into the family of God. You become a son. You become a daughter. And in doing so, you take on a new identity. How is this adoption possible? In the Bible, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And when you actually, if you were to talk to shepherds about lambs, you'd learn a lot about why Jesus was referred to this way. Let's assume a scenario. Two mothers, two mother sheep, have baby sheep. On this side, the mother sheep dies in child labor, or in child labor, in sheep labor, you labor, lamb labor, I don't know. She dies. Okay? That's it. Mom's gone on this side, okay? And we've got a, we've got a baby lamb. That if it doesn't get nourishment, it's going to die. But you can't just take it to another, another mama sheep and, and let it, you know, do its thing to drink from the things. No, it, you can't. You can't do that. And so it will die if you don't do that. And over here on this scenario, we got a mother lamb and her baby dies. In order to bring those two together, the mother whose baby died and the orphan lamb together, you have to take... I'm sorry, this, just, this just, just freaks me out because when, when, you, when you hear the scriptures, <laughs> anyway, sorry, it just freaks me out. You take the skin from the dead lamb or some of the afterbirth or some of the blood and you put it on the other lamb, the orphan one. The mother accepts that lamb as her own. She accepts him and allows him to feed from her and, and to grow. So she is grafted into the family and you only need to do that for a little bit before he's accepted as her own and she loves it as her own but that's the same way Jesus died for our sins and when we put on Jesus when we wrap ourselves with Jesus with all that he is we are adopted and God accepts us as his son so he literally had to be the lamb that was slain for us to be accepted by God not because God didn't love us God sent his son because he loved us he allowed his son to die because he loved us. He did that for us. And so in Jesus, we get to have this crazy identity. I'm going to read you some of the things that being in Jesus means for us as, as sons and daughters. And God loves us. And so in Jesus, we are this. The, the, I'm just going to read a quick list. The salt of the earth, that's Matthew 5.13. We're the light of the world, Matthew 5.14. A temple, a dwelling place for the spirit of God, that's 1 Corinthians 6.19. We're a new creation. In Jesus, we're made completely new. We're forgiven. We're washed. Our sins are done. We're a saint, Ephesians 1.1. We're God's workmanship, his handiwork, born anew in Christ to do his work. That's Ephesians 2.10. We're a citizen of heaven. That's a benefit of our relationship with Christ, right? Free ticket there. We are chosen of God, holy and dearly loved, Colossians 3.12. I don't know if I've ever considered myself holy before, but... In Jesus, we are. <clears throat> One of the final things we are is an enemy of the devil. That's 1 Peter 5, 8. Being in Christ as sons and daughters of God, we begin to image all that God is to us 
back to him, and that's called worship. We image all that God is to us, his love, his grace, his mercy to each other. That's community. And then when we begin to image all that God is for us as we serve the world, that's, that is, um, it, that's us serving the needs of, of others. And that's part of our, our mission statement here, right? Love God, love people, serve the world. The second thing Clark founded when he, when he connected with his dad was his potential. The depth of your potential can be found in what your father believes. My son Tyler loves to run. And when I was running, which clearly I don't do much of anymore, but when I was running, he wanted to join me because he sees greatness in me. He wants to be part of what I'm doing. And so every morning he'd get up early with me and we'd go running around the block. He's faster than I am, but he was always limited by me. He'd always run, because I'm jogging, man, I'm, I, which is pretty much bouncing as you walk, right? That's me. That's not, I'm not, I'm not really running. I'm bouncing as I walk. I make it look good. That's all I'm saying. So I limited his potential. I'm like, dude, go ahead and go run ahead of me. And he'd do several laps of that block before I got around and did my my full set and he, he'd lap me and I said go you've got the potential to run I started seeing this in him and seeing the desire to run and so I said to him one day I took him past the the, the uh, track and field out there in Pickerington as we were walking past I said you see that field I said you can run on that someday you could be one of the fastest kids on that field someday if you keep running you can do it his eyes got so big because I showed him that I believed in him See, I don't excel in running at all. In fact, I hate it. I hate running, but it's one of those things. You've got to do it or some kind of exercise of some sort. But he loves it. And where I'm failing in my potential, I just activated him by telling him I believed he could do it. Now, you can't keep him from running a 5K. If he hears it's happening, he's there. And once again, he limits or holds himself back for all of us slow people that are running it. You know, you run up with Shanda and... Uh, you know, he's like, hey, let's go, let's go. And he's like, go to mom the whole time. He's running with Kyle. And Kyle will run ahead and he'll stay with her. But I'm sure he could beat Kyle as well. Not because Kyle's slow. Kyle paces herself. She's wise. <laughs> but he's just a kid, man. He's 11. And he just wants to burst. He wants to run. And it's because I ignited that inside of him by what I believe. And so our potential gets ignited by what God believes in us as well. Now we're grafted into this family. We've got this identity. All right, we are God's children. So what does that mean? Where's our potential? <clears throat> and it's, lit, it's limitless. With our earthly fathers and our earthly flesh, we are limited. But with God, we are limitless. Belief is a really, really powerful thing. There's a, there's a story about um, fleas. You guys have fleas? <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. If you put fleas in a jar and you put a lid on them, the fleas will jump up and down, up and down, and hit their heads on the lid. And they will keep jumping and hitting their heads on the lid. You can do this, leave them for a few days, they'll keep hitting their heads. When you unscrew the lid, the fleas will only jump as high as where that lid was because they kept hitting their heads. They're trained. They've learned, they believe that if they go any higher than that, they're going to hit the lid. And so they stay like that. Belief is a powerful thing. We're the same way. When we believe that there's a lid, we're stuck. When we believe we can't excel past the thing, we don't go past it. it running the mile in under, uh, what was it, under two minutes, I think? It was the record. I'm probably misspeaking, but was it four, four minutes? Thank you very much. We've got a runner over here. Run, oh, no, okay. All right. Running the mile in under four minutes 
wasn't done forever. And then one guy did it. And all of a sudden, everybody believed that they can do it. And so record after record after record was getting broke. And it was, it was an amazing time period because belief changed everything, changed the whole story. In Mark 9, 23, I'll pick up, and, uh, and Jesus is asked if he can heal a young boy who's been possessed and sick since his childhood. And Jesus says, uh, the man says to Jesus, if you can, heal my son. And Jesus says to him, everything is possible for one who believes. And that's all things. Not some things, not a few things, not most things, that's all things. You know, for us, maybe we've been trying to, to, to stop something or a habit that we've got. Maybe we've been trying to quit smoking or maybe we've been trying to get out of a damaging relationship or get over the loss of a loved one or get set free from an addiction or forgive someone who hurt you. Or maybe you've been trying to, to give more or be patient with your kids or live a life of grace for your spouse. We find that difficult, but in Christ, we have the power to do that. He's given us his spirit to do it. We just have to tap into that. And so we see Jesus' disciples approach him about why they couldn't heal the boy because the boy was brought to him first. And in Matthew 17, 20, he replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mountain, I'm sorry, as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. The concept of that just blows my mind. It means that our potential is limitless in Christ. It's limitless. Anything that God has called us to do, anything that he places on our heart to do, we are limitless because of the power that resides in us. And here's with, with the disciples. This, this is what gets me about these guys because these guys have been going around casting out demons. These guys have been going around healing the sick. They've been going around doing this already, so they had a reputation. That's why the man brought in his kids in the first place. Because Jesus sent them out to do it. So they're doing it. But with this kid, he can't do it. And the disciples don't bring the kid to Jesus. They didn't have faith in Jesus. Well, if we can't do it, he must not be able to do it. So they don't bother Jesus. But the man comes to Jesus, and he's the one that has faith. And this is the reason why the boy was healed that day. was because he had faith in Jesus. So how do we release our potential? We bring it all to Jesus. In him, we have the power to do all things. This sermon kind of came about, I'm, I'm really new at all this. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but I'm really new at writing sermons, delivering sermons. I'm a young pastor. I haven't done this. And so it's very daunting to me. It's scary. And, uh, and I, kept, I kept just feeling and believing, man, I'm not going to be able to write this thing. I'm not going to be able to deliver this thing. Nobody's going to listen to it. And all week long, I heard these thoughts in my head. And finally, it all came together because about midweek this week, I said, I can do all things. I can. And I prayed, God, help me write this thing. Help me do this. And all of a sudden, it's like the floodgates opened, and I was able to do it. That may not mean much to you, but it meant a lot to me because I was just stuck and couldn't do it. In John 14, 12, it's, Jesus says to the guys, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. That's crazy. Jesus did a ton of miracles. He did a, a ton of things that were just amazing. And he says that we will do greater things than that. That's our potential in Jesus to do greater things than him. He said, I'm leaving, and you guys have the power. I'm going to leave you the power do greater than me. I don't know about you, but in my life, I have not done anything greater than Jesus yet. But I know that I aspire to that. I know that I want to see that happen in my life. So our potential for greatness when we are wrapped up in Him is limit, limitless. 
In Ephesians, it says, Now to him who by the action of his power that is at work. And I, and I put this in. You'll see it. There's, there's parentheses here. Because I like the Amplified version. It says it a little bit bigger. It says, Now to him who by the action of his power that is at work within us is able to carry us, carry out his purpose and do superabundantly far over and above all that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. What does that mean? That God is limitless. That the moment we can think anything, God is so far past it. The moment we have a great need in our life, God is so far past it. And if God is for us, then we are limitless as well. Not in and of ourselves, but in relationship with our Father. Once Clark's relationship was with his father was restored, and he learned what his father believed about his potential on earth, he finally found his purpose. Because we become empowered with purpose only after our identity and potential have been revealed. And just like Clark Kent, we are restored, when we are restored to the Father, we learn of our potential. With the sky being the limit, we launch out into our purpose. We're all searching for purpose. We're all looking for significance because that's what purpose does. It shapes the mark we want to leave in the world, and it begins to shape us. Some of us find purpose in our jobs. Some of us find purpose in those relationships. Our past hurts. And we allow those things to either bend us to be mean to our kids or mean to our wives or whatever that past hurt is, be mean in relationships, or, or it causes us to go, hey, my dad was, was this to me, so I'm going to be completely on the other side of the, the thing. I'm going to be so great, I'll show him what it was all about. Because he wasn't there for me, I'm going to make sure I'm there for my kids. And so we go on the completely other end. But we find purpose in that. Some of us just need to, to forgive or grow past that. Instead of using it as our excuse. But we just like Kal-El, we spend our lives floating from job to job, relationship to relationship, social event to social event, never satisfied, never connected, never fulfilling our purpose when we're outside of God. We never really know what we're supposed to do. We try things, but they're not satisfying. Our purpose isn't being fulfilled. There's this dissatisfaction, this disquieting inside, and you don't know what it is, but it nags at you all the time. You have no peace because your purpose isn't being fulfilled. But to know God, our purpose, all we have to do is go to the scriptures. And this is what I love. I love this. We have to read the Bible to know what our purpose is. Deuteronomy, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. It also says in Matthew, love your neighbor as yourself. In Ephesians, it says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's simplify it. Our purpose here on earth when we're in Christ is to love God, love people, and serve the world. That's what your purpose is. It's not to be a banker. It's not to be a father, to be a spouse. Those are all things that you get to do. Your purpose in the scriptures is found there. And that's it. And just like call out, when we move forward every day of our lives with our purpose in front of us, knowing whether that's big or small, living this simply fulfills it. We find peace in that. We find satisfaction in that. And as we live this way day after day, God begins to nudge us in specific directions by his Holy Spirit just to do what's in front of us. Loving your neighbor is right in front of you. Your neighbor is whoever is there, whoever you see. Who do you see? What's, given, what's there that's given for you to do? You know, when we spend our day, when we pray, God, help me fulfill my purpose. When you see a man dumpster diving, 
you'll stop and talk to that man. You'll allow God to tell you, go give that guy 20 bucks. And when you walk up to a guy diving in a dumpster and you say, hey man, I don't know you. God told me to give you 20 bucks. And that man begins to weep because he needed $15 to pay his rent. He was diving in the dumpster looking for aluminum cans so he could pay his rent. That's a little thing, but that meant the world to that guy. And that happened to me, driving behind Kmart. It's a true story. God just said, go talk to him. Give him all the money in your wallet. In that moment, I was thankful I only had $20. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But the guy only needed 15. He got 20. He got more than he needed. I wound up buying that guy lunch and praying with him and he pulled out his Bible and we got to talk to him. He's a good guy. But that's my purpose. The little things. And we're nudged all the time, but we don't want to get out of our comfort zone. I didn't know that guy, but I knew he was dumpster diving. I'm not a guy who likes to be dirty. So, like, anything you'll see me, I'm washing my hands constantly. I'll do anything to keep from getting dirty. Anyway, we all have a part and a purpose as a body. Not everybody can be a thumb or a pinky or a toe or a head. We all have a part. And we have to fulfill that part in order for our purpose to be fulfilled. There's no job too small or considered dismissive. We just have to submit to the leading of the Spirit to find our place and purpose in the body. And as we grow, that purpose can be ever-changing. We show ourselves faithful in the little things we are trusted with much. But we can't do any of these things if we aren't changed first by the love of our Father. If we haven't engaged that, if we don't allow that relationship to be restored, we can't know our potential. And if we don't know our potential, we can't finish our, or we can't ever know our purpose in life. The choice is simple. Live hidden amongst the crowd, limited, dissatisfied like Clark Kent. Or we can be restored to our Father. Assume our identity in Christ, limitless and fulfilled. Let's pray.